You are listening to Instructive's Insane Instruction Show. I am Ferry V. I create happy and safe users for over two decades. This is a listen and learn podcast to help your firm keep on the right side of the law by creating better information for use. How do you know you can trust what I say? I've worked in product development and compliance for a few decades and I've built up three companies and my blog attracts over 10,000 visitors a month. None of this is as important as keeping your company and your users safe. They're happy, their partners are happy and of course I am happy for them. Hi there and welcome to the show. In this podcast, we're going to talk about how to CE mark a machine. As we specialize, amongst others, in creating user instructions for machinery, most of our clients are involved in the certification process of their machines. With the instruction handbooks that we create, we help to provide clear information on how to use a machine safely, efficiently, and effectively. The instruction handbook plays an important role in the certification process. One of the purposes of the instruction handbook is to warn the user of certain product risks. Risks are determined by means of a risk assessment. Safety of machinery is regulated on a European level by the Machinery Directive. The Machinery Directive also gives requirements on the content of the user instructions. As I think it's useful for companies selling machinery on the European market to have more insight in the CE marking process, we will talk about it in this podcast episode. Together with today's guest, I hope to provide practical tips on how to go through the CE marking process yourself and self-certify your machinery. In this podcast, we will discuss what does CE stand for on machinery? What are CE marking requirements for machinery? the process of CE marking machinery and the six steps to CE marking. How can you get or obtain the CE mark for your machinery? How to identify if your product is a machinery? How to conduct a risk assessment? What should be in your technical file? And how to draft your declaration of conformity? My guest for today is Paul Hogekamp. He's one of the most well-known experts in the field of CE marking and machinery safety. He is owner of Messit, with which Paul advises on CE marking and product safety. He developed several CE marking related tools, is author of several books on machinery safety and risk assessment, is trainer at the Dutch Standardization Institute and chairman of several standardization committees, such as the Dutch Machinery Committee. Welcome, Paul. What exactly is machinery? If we think in technical terms of machinery, we have certain ideas in mind like a steam engine or whatever. Uh, that's kind of, but the machinery in, in, in respect of the legislation means that you have to dig into the details what clearly is defined as machinery. And machinery is a wider terminology. So you have to go to the machinery directive itself. And then you can go to, uh, for instance, the scope of the machinery directive. And they say the directive is applicable for the products and the list of it is machinery, okay, that we know already, and then interchangeable equipment is regarded as machinery, safety components regarded as machinery, lifting accessory, that means a, a sling, for instance, or a chain, 
That's machinery. Of course, they have chain ropes, webbings, removable mechanical transmissions, devices, and party completions. All is regarded as products relating to the machinery directive. And, and that's all listed in the scope of the machinery directive. Yeah, in the scope. And of course, then you have the so-called exclusions or exemptions, but exclusions from the directive. That means some look machinery are outside the machinery directive. So you have to clearly check the whole machinery directive. And then there is a definition and this gives you a definition. But the definition is wide. That means if you have a machinery, for instance, uh, it's clearly an assembly, comma, fitted or intended to be fitted with a drive system other than directly applied human or animal effort, consisting of linked parts or components, at least one of the moves, and which are joined together for specific applications. So a mice trap, wooden bar, a spring on it, etc. That means they're already in the, in the scope of the machine. But do they mean that a mouse trap is machinery? Of course, there's more to, to be said about that. But yeah, it's a, it's a definition. It's a more juristic, generalized term. But, but it's important. Yeah, essentially, you have to define something. So if you have moving things <laughs> in your product, then it could be that they fall under the machinery directive. So then you check the machinery directive and say, oh, well, it is moving. So when it is moving, so uh, I can uh, say, is this a specific equipment used in fairgrounds or amusement parks? Yes, if it is, you're outside the machinery directive. You have to comply to other directives, of course, but of other uh, legislation. Uh, so let's first state the first, first simple requirement. That is, one, always there is a directive. Yeah, this is rule number one. Always there is legislation. Rule number two, when there is no legislation, rule one applies. So think about that. That means there is some regulation. It could be the general product safety regulation. It could be for automotive, etc. But there is always some regulation. At, yeah. For, for, for example, when there is no CE marking directive, then uh, the general product safety directive applies. Less fair, maybe applicable, but there could be also other automotive industry has automotive uh, uh, requirements. Uh, airplane, so the industry for, just depends, okay. But going back to the machinery, so if this machinery directive is applicable, then you um, are according to definitions, which are quite a, a lot separate definitions added to it, and you are not in the exclusions. So then you have a kind of machine falling under the machinery directive. Okay, um, I, I will include a video in, in the uh, transcriptions as well, explaining how you can identify it, whether you have a machinery or not. And I, I think I, I heard some clicks, Paul, so I think you opened the machinery directive. Am I correct? I had already opened because <laughs> uh, the, the text on it, it is so with dots and commas, uh, you can learn it by heart, but it is not useful to learn it by heart. And sometimes, uh, and even nowadays, I'm almost uh, 25 years in this business. I even say, okay, what is the clear case? It's juristic. That means you have to pinpoint each terminology if it's okay. So if it's a machinery, yes, it's machinery based on the definition, not in the exclusions and on the, yeah, let's say 
the terminology. And then, for example, I, I do see the following, for example, the exclusion of household appliances and ordinary office machinery. So, for example, we, we created user manuals for uh, shredders, you know, office shredders, and they obviously have moving parts. So you would say that they need to comply with, uh, the, uh, uh, with the machinery directive machinery directive, but they're excluded because they're office, seen as office machinery. And, and that is quite a situation uh, that has a historical uh, background. I won't not go into that detail, but um, you can have some guidance documents explaining what is then uh, household equipment and what not. And you have an office machinery for printers and of course shredders can be household. But don't let misguide you about this situation because if there are moving parts and under the low voltage moving parts are also addressed also chemicals etc so low voltage directive is the so-called let's say harmonized directive that is uh, let's, let's say completely harmonized that means that if it's full under the low voltage all hazards that are in the product are addressed also mechanical hazards yes uh, because of because the risk analysis is mandatory for low voltage appliances right yes now in the latest uh, uh, issue they put it in it and otherwise they said well there are so many standards that there uh, this uh, follow the standards and then it's okay but the risk assessment is nowadays part of it and it's okay it should be a risk assessment addressed it was already mentioned the purpose was it already there but not mentioned and i think it's right to mention the risk assessment there and the machinery directive also distinguishes uh, partly completed machinery why is this a special group <laughs> Yeah, oh, well, there, there was an early intention uh, that machinery, uh, what is not complete, literally complete, uh, because when is a machine complete? The, when it works at your premises, for instance, yeah, a printing machine. Uh, but there could be a part that is already moving and doing something, but there has no safeguarding, no nothing about it. So this is already in, under the definition. And so they made the kind of partly completed machinery because you cannot have a full technical file on that, uh, you cannot have a full um, safety on that, name it. But partly completed machinery is then evolved to something that everybody thinks that a halfway machine is also a partly completed machine. Not necessarily the case, it is what you bring on the market. So if I have a drive system, that is the, the, the example they use here, if I have a drive system, it's a motor and a gear attached to it maybe, or a motor itself, you can put a motor, on, uh, a hydraulic motor or an electric motor on the market, like I tell you, I'm a, uh, on a magazine, you, you can sell it on the market. So there is some moving parts on the market which related to machinery, yeah, what to do with it? They have no end function let's say but they're still machinery now well in that kind of category they put this partly completed machinery maybe in the future it will go out some ideas i said uh, say you don't need partly completed machinery this is either completed or not completed but in uh, in the declaration of conformity and the manual there's enough uh, explanation on how to uh, get it right or get it uh, safe 
there's another saying that we needed the partly completed machinery and we have to have attached more stringent requirements for that. There are two, uh, let's say, ways, and I don't know what it's going to be in the future, but I think partly completed machinery is a little bit degraded. You can do it also with the CE mark in machinery and give a CE mark on the machinery and not talking about partly completed machinery at all. To talking about the future, because um, the current machinery directive is from 2006. Uh, it's also named the 2006-42-EC uh, directive. I think uh, at the moment uh, the European Commission is revising the machinery directive. Is that correct? Well, I don't know if this at this moment will be done because they have a lot of things on their mind now. But uh, yeah, there is there is on the way the idea of the, the successor uh, of the old one, and that will be maybe an, not a directive uh, but a, re a regulation. But it's not not final. There should be in August 2020 a kind of draft. Well, it's almost, when we're talking about this podcast, almost August. <laughs> so they say about uh, 2021, there will be a new directive. I have to see it. 2021? Yeah. So uh, next year. Well, don't believe it, because the European Union has something else to do. We have, for instance, a Brexit problem. We have the General Produce Safety Directive uh, that needs to be renewed. It's already there, has to go to Parliament. But the Parliament is uh, busy with other things, I think. We keep waiting. Okay. Before we dive into the contents of the machinery directive, I want to summarize what we just discussed because I think this is really practical information for the listeners. So let's say that I'm a manufacturer or I'm importing a product and I do have my doubts whether it is legally seen as, as machinery. So, uh, Paul, please correct me if I'm wrong. So, what, what I do, I just go to Google, I search for, the, for example, machinery directive or for 2006-42-EC. I'll go to the website of the European Commission, which is, I think it's the e, uh, the EURLEX website, so eur-lex.europa. EU. I'll put the URL in, in the transcriptions. Uh, there I can find the machinery directive. I can download it for free. In Article 1, when I look in the machinery directive, Article 1 is about the scope. I will see that this directive applies to machinery and, and some other things like safety components and partly completed machinery. And if I do have any doubts, so, okay, yeah, clear, it's... Uh, it applies to machinery. I already knew that. But then I can go to definitions, which is Article 2. And there you can find the definition of machinery. And by yeah, reading and understanding the definition, you can determine if your product falls under the scope of this definition. And so if the machinery directive applies. I would suggest also, given the, the royal way to this, I prefer also the shortcut. And the shortcut is... Uh, go to the site EU space growth, then scroll down to the list box, tick on machinery, and then you go, to, uh, go straight to the site machinery directive and you can download them on uh, the Erlex uh, site because they have all the translations. But 
you have also the entry point of the guide to the machinery directive which is explaining you detailed of giving you detailed information if the explanations are not very clear from the juristic point of view also it gives you a list of the standards so your approach is okay but this was the rough way and now you have the entry point yeah okay thanks for uh, explaining that in more detail and uh, so let's say my machinery has some some uh, rotating parts or um, i'm checking the definition at the moment so uh, let's say my machinery is an uh, is an assembly that's fitted with a drive system so yes hey I, I i do have a machinery then i know that the machinery directive applies what does the machinery directive say what kind of requirements will i find in the machinery directive generally you can summarize the whole directive uh, do a proper risk assessment and make safeguarding and protective measures so that's basically the, the, the one-liner but into detail going you go to the general principles and that uh, gives you a risk assessment how to do later on there are standards for it one important one by the way en uh, iso 12100 but then there are in the next annex they're giving you uh, requirements for several issues like a control system like ergonomics uh, like safeguarding and also manuals so they give a lot of information in annex one but annex one has six chapters and the general chapter is applicable to all machinery the, uh, the chapter two is for special machinery, transportable, or uh, you can carry those machines, or it's hygienic requirements. And then you have uh, the third is for uh, mobile force for lifting, fifth for underground, and the sixth for lifting of persons. So, what you need then is depending on your product. Yeah, so you have to, again, when, when we go to the six steps of uh, CE marking, then in step one, you need to identify the applicable directives and standards. And then in step two, you have to study them and identify what applies to your machinery. Yeah, so you first need to know what is your product and what is your function of the product. And then you go to this uh, shortcut site, let's say eu.growth, and then pick the right directives. It could be plural, that means not only the machinery directive is applicable, but it could also be the Roche Directive, and you see Directive, and so on, depending on the product. Yeah, noise emission. Depending on, then it is certain is machinery for noise emission, but a part of the machines, like concrete breakers, uh, edge terminals, and so on, they have to have a sound requirement. That means clarification for sound emission. And you're saying, so actually, basically, you can boil it down to the machinery directive says that you have to do a risk assessment but you another approach could be that uh, you can say that the machinery directive contains requirements on the design of a product the user instructions the technical file the route to conformity the declaration of conformity is that correct yes correct but again it is based on the requirements are for designing in your product let's say if you're a designer you have to know the requirements for the machinery directive if you design a machine. Uh, if you're designing products, you have to know the product requirements. It's basically, 
if you have no requirements, as, as we call the, the program of requirements, for instance, you have to comply to the user. The user wants a green product. Now, so green is a specification, but that's a specification from the user. We have from legislation specifications, well, for machinery, there are Annex 1, uh, PPE, Annex 1, etc. There are the requirements. So you have requirements from legal point of view, you have maybe requirements from standards, and you have user requirements that they want orange colored face mask. If you want face mask orange, yes, orange is not a requirement from legal point of view. Yeah, but it could be that you're making a fiesta in a football stadium and you have orange face masks. I don't know. It may be. But orange is a specification item. So for your designing of the system, you need to know what to do. So this requirement there should be in, in, in step uh, two, determining requirements. That means not only the legal requirements, but all the requirements. And then you do a so-called requirement analysis. Yeah. What makes the machinery directive special? In other words, can you highlight some parts that the machinery directive contains that we won't find in other directives? Yeah. Typicals regarding uh, specific control systems. I think the machine directive is very special in certain control systems. That means control system that really are uh, giving you high risk if the control system fails. Like I said, the PLC fails or the electrical wiring fails. Those control systems are addressed uh, a certain uh, amount of control systems. That is typical. Uh, safeguarding in general is more specific than in what else I think? Um, risk assessments. Yeah, but the risk assessment is general. It is, you have to do it in virtual all directives. The word risk assessment is applicable. Mm, okay. The risk assessment is not specific for machinery. It's also risk assessment now in low voltage. Uh, well, you can hardly imagine any directive uh, that doesn't recollect something about risk assessment. Yeah, and if it's not mentioned in any other directive, then it's highly recommended to conduct a risk assessment. Paul, okay, so there are uh, some things that distinguish the machinery directive from, from other directives. And first of all, of course, it applies to machinery and not toys, etc. But there are also things similar, for example, the six steps to get to CE marking for your machinery. And all those, those six steps apply to all kinds of products. I interviewed you in another podcast episode where we talked in more detail about the six steps towards CE marking for all kinds of products. So if you're interested in, in the uh, summarization of these steps, uh, please listen to that podcast. When I want to CE mark my machinery, Paul, I start with these six steps. So I start with step one, identifying the directors. And we already briefly discussed that in uh, the beginning. Shall we continue with, with this process, which makes it really practical for people that want to sell machinery? Okay, you have a, a circular saw, table saw machine, left hand. Yeah, you identify, of course, that it is an uh, applicable directive, is the machinery directive. Now you have to, to check other directives are applicable. Well, certainly the Roche directive is applicable. 
but uh, and, and the WEE and of course the EMC and uh, nowadays everything is just Bluetooth and so on. Just so maybe the RED is applicable, uh, radio equipment directive. But anyhow, let's focus to this machinery directive. Then you go. Is have, has your product a kind of so-called C standard? That's the best way. There's a, a standard that is, is um, let's say, based on a product or a product group. Well, circular saws has a standard. Uh, conveyor belts standards, C-types. But if you don't have a C-type standard, you can say, well, can we do it with the so-called B and A standards? And of course, the B standards are related to several safety subjects like electrical safety. There is a B standard, 6204-1 or 3.2 for hoisting equipment, anyhow. There's a specific standard for a specific technical requirement, technical issue. Uh, let's say the electrical issue is covered by the so-called 6204, but we have hydraulical issues which are uh, subject to the 4413 for hydraulic and 414 for pneumatic. So depending on the uh, use of the energy, we can have standards and depending on the uh, ergonomic aspects, we can have standards and so on. So, first of all, you have to look to the C standards. If there is no C standard, go back to the B and always apply the A, which is called EN 12100 for risk assessment. So then you have the standards. Which is part of step one. So then I know if the directors have the standards. Is there any um, website that you, you can direct the listeners to where they can find these A, B and C standards? The best way is uh, to go to the EU growth and then to the machinery directive, uh, uh, just like a table in, in, in the site, and then scroll down and then you have their PDF file in the various languages and you can download the so-called C standards. You can also go to the NEN, DIN, BSI or something, uh, Standardization Institute, but this, you can find standards and then you can see if it's a C or B or an A standard. That is also a possibility. What, what I hear every now and then from, from uh, companies approaching us is that they say, OK, we, we identified our standards because we did find the declaration of conformity of a competitive product on the Internet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it's, it's always possible to find it via the Google Internet or something else. But... Then I would suggest the following. Check the standard mentioned, the number. Put the number in, for instance, in the NEN for the Dutch Institute or DIN and verify if the number is applicable as standard. And not withdrawn, meanwhile. Yes, of course. It could be withdrawn, it could be your wrong number and so on. But how can you be assured that the declaration from your competitor is compliant and okay? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> That's not a point. But uh, you have a start point. Okay, starting point. Yeah, and, and so uh, I'm always a big fan of going to the source. So that's either the website, the, the official journal of the European Commission, for example, or a standardization institute where the up-to-date standards are listed. Yeah, that's correct. So go always to, yeah, let's say, the straight go to the horse mouse. There where the directives are listed, made, European Union and where the standards are coming from ISO, IEC and of course European SENS and ELEC, uh, the Standardization Committee, but go to the Standardization Committee in the member state itself. 
So in German, in the, uh, you go to the DIN, uh, in the Netherlands to go to DIN, in, in France, Afnor, BSI, England, and so on. Okay, so that's step one. Uh, we've identified the, the directives and the standards. Then we go to step two, and that's actually determining the requirements that are listed there. So basically, it means that you have to study on the directives and standards. So the requirements that we have in, in, in step two, that means also not the legal requirements, but it can also be the requirements that are fitted to, let's say, the user. That means uh, the color is green, yellow or blue. Uh, color qualification, it could be a uh, surface uh, qualification, it could be a GUI, right? so a layout for, for, for a PC qualification that has nothing to do with safety or at least can interfere safety and then you have to do a so-called requirement analysis. And that is meant by step two. We're speaking about the CE mocking process here, but still you want to include other user requirements in this step. Yeah, but it could be that the user requirements conflict with the safety requirements. And then you should be aware that in your design process. Yeah, okay, clear. So uh, I give this an addition to these requirements because uh, if you go only to legal, you're not designing a legal product, you're designing a product which complies to legal requirements. Yeah, okay. And for, for example, um, correct me if I'm wrong, and, and, and it's like, in, in um, okay, so recently the ISO 20607 has been published, which is a standard for instruction handbooks for machinery. Well, sorry, actually, it's not completely harmonized. It's been partly harmonized. And the part about the, the publication form is not harmonized. Why not? Because... The, the ISO 20607 standard says that, first of all, you have to check what agreements you have with your client on the publication form, meaning that when your client does not require, for example, a paper user manual, according to the standards, you would be allowed to provide an online manual if there is no specific national legislation or other legislation for that. So could it be, for example, that when I have a client requirement saying, okay, no, we don't need a paper requirement, that requirement is conflicting with, well, not per se the requirement in the machinery directive, but definitely in the guide to application of the machinery direct directive, because this guide explains that for the machinery, in order to comply with the machinery directive, you still need at least the safety instructions in a paper format. That's correct. Step two is about not only determining the requirements, but also determining conflicting requirements. And of course, with the conflicting requirements, uh, always the legislation wins in this case time. Um, and uh, yeah, the, the uh, example you mentioned about this uh, paper and uh, non-paper and PDF and whatsoever electronic way. Yeah, the commissioning is now a little bit shifting about it, by the way, but still the requirements are there. But um, there are industries that don't need uh, paper. Really, I have industries with clean rooms and paper is not allowed in the clean room. So you have to have another method. But the method is very clear. Uh, they have a an, an, an PDF file on the screen and they are not allowed to work if the screen is down, for instance. But then you have dedicated uh, systems, dedicated workers. But if there is a user uh, somewhere with a, a, a mowing machine, 
he has not the possession of, uh, for instance, uh, internet at direct reading safety signs or something like that. So that's why paper is still still the one that is uh, in the legal in the legal terms on machinery the, the active one. But there are certain areas think and they're thinking now of certain areas to exclude the manual paper version. That means that you have to provide electronic way and paper is then maybe not needed anymore. Yeah, for example, the A2079 standard actually says that the format of the manual, the medium, should be based on the user's needs. Yeah, but uh, then, then again, it is conflicting in the, in the part of the machinery directive. Maybe in the new directive, conflicting items are solved. But in general, there is only one uh, in the medical devices. Uh, there is you can electronically uh, give information, but it should be between professionals, uh, clearly understandable, etc., etc. But then there is a not paper manual approach. Exactly, and I, I think we can we can fill another podcast episode about this topic. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, okay, st step two: determining the requirements means also looking at any conflicting requirements, which reminds me of the fact, of course, that a standard is not, in most cases, a mandatory thing to follow. So, a standard is one way to meet the requirements of the directive. When you apply a standard, you create the presumption of conformity. Um, so it, it does mean when the standard says it needs to be green, but your user requirement is it, it should be orange, then when you have a good reason to choose to choose something different, then you're free to do so. Is that correct? Yeah, you're, uh, in certain limits, you're free. Uh, of course, there's always a limit or a boundary attached to it. But you're free to uh, to change a color. But remind me that sometimes a color is for signaling, and then it gets safety safety related. Yeah. yeah. So you have to uh, prepare for uh, changes or deviations from the standard. It's okay. But if deviation is not safe enough, then it's not okay. Of course. So uh, in order. Uh, you have to provide a kind of equality that your solution that you choose is equal or better than the solution suggested in the standard. Yeah, because otherwise you will you will be held liable if something happens. Yeah, uh, you will be held liable anyway. <laughs> but you have then also documentation to, let's say, to have a, a, a generally opposition against some yeah, a lawyer or legislative system there you can say I followed the standard and the standard gives me the presumption of conformity and I showed that this solution is equal see my technical file for instance yeah okay um, shall we go to step three Paul yep. <laughs> so okay so we've identified the, the requirements now in step three correct me if I'm wrong we have to determine the route to conformity yeah well if you go to the route of conformity then also go to the directive they're showing you uh, certain machines uh, that needed involvement of a notified body is an annex 4 issue machine one of those machines if yes go to a notified body and then not the uh, notified body check on them though if the notified body is conforming the requirements and if the notified body is allowed to check on that part of the directive. Is it correct that there are actually three routes to conformity? So 
I thought there is an assessment of conformity with internal checks on the manufacturer of the machinery. There is EC type examination and full quality assurance. Yeah, and, and it could be applicable both or simultaneous, let's say, depending on the product. So if you have an assessment that only an internal check uh, is done on the documentation, uh, okay, that, that could be uh, fair enough. But it could also be that you have a type examination because the standard is not full uh, detailed about this product and there are parts that needed some clarification or some gaps in the standard that needs a clarification. Yeah, and the, the example of this uh, cir circular sewing machine, circular... Yeah, circular sewing. Yeah. Right, so what, uh, what, what route to conformity will, will apply to this machine? Well, if there is, a, uh, for the circular saw of the specific type, circular saw is a full standard that, uh, let's say, covers all the requirements of the directive. A, a C standard, you mean? A C standard, correct, yeah. If there is, for this particular saw, then you mean a full a standard that covers all the requirements of the directive, then you follow the standards and no notified bodies, only there is a conformity check in the total for, yeah, let's say, the technical file, then the standard is the one you follow. But if the standard is lacking some points uh, in the early stage, for in the, uh, the beginning, uh, there was a standard, for instance, for um, hatch trimming machines, and for instance, the noise was not dealt with. So you had to do something with noise because machinery has to do something with noise, but it was not dealt in the standard. So you have to go to another photo body, they measure it and they say, okay, this is okay. But if the standard is full compliant telling you how to deal and how to do the measurement, you can do. But the problem is, the, uh, the, in the specific case, the experiment has to go also uh, comply to emission outdoors. But maybe there is an example for the circular saw that there is not an emission outdoors, then it's purely if the standard covers all the requirements, then there is a notified body involvement is minimized to practically zero. And if there is some parts that are dealt with, then the involvement is for that part. Or even when there is no particular standard for it, you have to do a full check on the EEC type examination, for instance. And uh, type examination could mean also production process checks. Now production, but also design process. It depends on the modules. So when choosing modules, you have to explain then the modules. Where are the modules? And the modules is A, B, C, etc. to H, H model. And it means full quality assurance, design process, engineering process, production, is all emphasized and all parts that, for instance, is module A self-certification. So there's a module approach. <laughs> okay, it, it, so, it sounds still sounds like a lot of theory to me, um, but I think I think it's important. So it, it, again, it depends on the type of machinery you have, and you have to study on it yourself and identify what applies to your machinery. That's correct. It sounds complicated. It's not so complicated if you know that the machinery in itself has a full compliance on module B and H, 
and depending on the type of machine. And I can assure you that 95% of the machinery, of your machinery, has nothing to do with this uh, module stuff. It's only, let's say, the word self-certification. Okay. And uh, this self-certification, so the actual doing, conducting the self-certification is step four, So, which is the testing of the machinery. Yeah, but it is also regarding step one and step two, exactly. etc. Yeah, but, but yeah, and they, of course, the, when, the, when there is in the standard, for instance, uh, kind of testing. But there's the testing uh, that means that when you have a requirement, and there's also the machinery directive, that sound noise measurements, yeah, Measurement, that means that you have to do some tests if your noise is okay. Uh, vibration means measurement is okay. Control systems, if you control the function, is kind of testing. Is the risk analysis, does that, is that part of testing as well? Yeah, yeah you, you could say, um, I test it if you do the right risk assessment. Yeah, it's kind of testing. But of course, yeah. to conduct a risk assessment is part of the game is underlying. It started at step one. Yeah, it should be in the technical file, so that's step five. But yeah it should be done anyway yeah yeah and, and if you start a risk assessment and uh, at a late stage uh, i don't think you have a proper process because all machinery directive related items are going into the design process it is the design that you have to do inherent design is the first and all and safeguarding and then of course give information it's not not that the one is before the others but Inherent design means that you can really design out unsafety. Do you need to document the testing? Of course. If a test uh, is documented, it should be documented in such a way. I, I wrote it also in books, a very simple uh, uh, checklist how to and what to do. But the documentation should be in the, this way that if I uh, see your document and do the same test with the same test equipment or the same alike test equipment under the same circumstances under the same circumstances i get the same results yeah it should be clear to anyone who reads it and, and the report uh, itself uh, has uh, you can make your own report in a word format or whatever format but it starts to get who is the tester? Who is witness the test? Uh, uh, what is the test equipment? What is the calibration of the test equipment? Uh, what is the, the environment, the temperatures, the pressure? I don't know. Depends on, on the test. Meaning that if there is a standard available for the testing, it's wise to use that standard. The word wise, I should use the word uh, you shall use it. Because <laughs> it's highly recommended. It's highly recommended. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, all right, thanks. Um, anything else that you want to mention regarding the testing, or shall we discuss step five, the compiling the technical file? Yeah, yeah I want to think about testing. I see, uh, for instance, there's a nice situation a lifting beam. You have to do a test, for instance, for a lifting beam, it's a C-standard, and the lifting beam uh, requires that you should lift uh, three times the load uh, in a certain situation and other situation two times the load. It is in standard. But let's assume you have to test a lifting beam with a workload limit of two tons, 2,000 kilos, 
and you have to test it and you need a test of two times the working load that means that you have to test it with 4000 kilos now you can do a lot of things with chains and certified uh, bags or what uh, it's very simple do the test yeah and how do you know uh, if the uh, do you oh, there was also a question do i need um, a certified hosting device for it if you can measure it if you are uh, one centimeter above the floor uh, with a bag full uh, balloon full of water at 4000 kilo you already did some testing so make the test not a test as we testing notified bodies make the test with common sense yes always use common sense <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> but common sense uh, depends on who you ask <laughs> Okay, thanks for for, uh, for for explaining that in more detail, Paul. Um, so then we, we've conducted all the testing, and which is part of the technical file. And in, in the next step of the C-marking process, which is the compiling the technical file, we put together all our evidence to prove that we have a machinery that complies with the requirements of the machinery directive. What should be included in the technical file for machinery besides the testing reports? Well, the overview what should be in the technical file is given in, in, the, in the Annex 7 of the Machinery Directive. The technical file for the machinery and even the technical file for partly completed machinery, uh, they are listed in, in the Annex. And they are not so deviating uh, for much from each other. It's about um, checking about compliance check. Yeah, okay. And one of the things uh, listed in, in this annex is uh, that you have to include a copy of the instructions for the machinery. Yeah, but that means that, means that if the, cons uh, the manual is lost, yeah, you can always say, yeah, sorry to the labor inspection or the authorities, uh, yes, the manual is lost. Well, the, your manual is not lost, you have a copy. Here it yes. is. Yeah, so the, the user instructions, you need to supply user instructions, a user manual with your machinery. Yeah. And if you don't do so, you do not comply with the machinery directive. So actually, you're not allowed to put this e-mark on the product, on the machinery. You're not allowed to draft and sign the declaration. And actually, you're not allowed to sell the product yet. That's correct. Yeah, because you're applying to one of this, uh, and the user manual is one of those uh, requirements. And besides that, the machinery directive in section 1.7.4.2, uh, it, it gives like really detailed requirements on the contents of your user instructions. Yes, it's in general, by the way. It depends. This is also a little, was a far back way in 2000, what is it, seven? No, 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 for earlier. I was at Brussels and there was a technical writers and they said, well, each CE Mark product needs a manual. Well, for machinery directive, I can go along. But there is a, a kind of measuring devices, yeah, measuring devices, you know. And when you have a, a glass put in a pint of beer, yeah. Yeah, a pint, a pint. Yeah, yeah there's the marking on it, on the glass itself, a marking, a CE marking, yeah, the notified body number. And I put this glass to the, this guy and said, do I need a manual for this? You said just every CE marked uh, item <laughs> has needed a manual. 
and I showed you there are sometimes situations that you don't need manuals. Oh, yeah, well, exactly. Yeah. Okay. This is as, as another side note. This is my uh, epiphany moment that I had because I, I did a few courses with you. So it was a course at the NEN about the European legislation, which you you were giving. And uh, the machine, I think it was the risk assessment course you, you did. And so in the beginning, I was like, what? What, what, what is this all about? Uh, CE directives? I, of course, I knew what it was, like very in low detail. Uh, but it, it was really complicated. And I, I can remember, so it was like 10 years ago, I asked you a question. So, but why is there a CE mark on, on sunglasses? And you said, because it's personal protective equipment. And then, that's, well, that was my first epiphany. And the second one was when you uh, you gave a presentation somewhere and you had a picture of, of a pint with a CE mark on it. And then I was confused again. I was like, what? Why does it contain a CE mark? It's such a, like a low-risk, simple product. And then you said, well, it's, it's a measuring device. So it falls under the measuring device directive. And that was my second epiphany. And then, then it all started to get clear. All right, that's how you look at directives, etc. But sorry, that's just, just as a side note. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, a glass of beer. Manual for drinking beer. Oh, well. <laughs> for sunglasses, maybe you need an instruction sheet uh, with some safety remarks. But for a glass of beer, no, you don't, you don't need user instructions. In, in the... Uh, machinery directive in, in this 1.7.4.2 section, there's a list of, I don't know, maybe 20, 20 or 30 requirements on the user instructions, but they're very general, as you just indicated. In order to create user instructions that comply to those requirements from the machinery directive, you can apply standards, for example, the A2079 and the recently partly harmonized uh, ISO uh, 2607 standard. Yeah, but also look at when your product is in the C standard range. The C standard uh, tells you also the extra needed parts of the case in the manual. For instance, uh, it will tell you that the sound pressure level should be in the manual, uh, that, uh, for instance, the maintenance of the specific unit should be in the manual. So uh, the type system will give you also uh, information for use or uh, makes remarks about it. Yes, yeah, so actually, when, when you want to know what requirements are for the instructions for use for your machinery, you have to identify, first of all, the C standards. And mostly they have, I think it's like chapter four or five, which is about marking and instructions. Seven, sorry. <laughs> and uh, when you know that, the next step would be to see if there are any so-called vertical standards uh, for example the iso 2607 mm -hmm. yep. and, and the next thing you have to do is to see if there are so-called horizontal standards that apply to a broader scope of products for example uh, the recently published iec ieee a2079 yeah but um, the standard you mentioned about the manual it's more horizontal it's, it's about manuals in general the a2079 uh, yeah yeah, but but uh, that's an IEC standard. It's uh, uh, not harmonized <laughs> because of some points, and partly harmonized the other one. But it is about the what you have to incorporate into your manual, and that is in the C standard. So this specific signal, this warning signal, 
uh, this should be in the manual or marking. That will give you in the, in the C standard. And of course, in some B standards, also markings are there. Generally, electrical safety 6204. Yeah, okay. The last thing that I would like to discuss uh, regarding the technical file is the risk assessment. And you already mentioned that there is a standard to conduct the risk assessments, which is the 12,100. There is a process, right, in order to, to conduct a risk assessment for machinery? Yeah, uh, risk assessment starts at zero, and then it is a so-called iterative, yeah, there's a repeating process. And how the process is done is not uh, yeah, specifically mentioned, but of course uh, you should do a process with more discipline at the table. For instance, electrical, uh, mechanical, and depending on the product, chemical, I don't know. But don't do it on your own, because then you make missing mistakes that belong to your own. So the risk assessment is done in a wider circle. But the risk assessment is given not the, yeah, let's say, the, the way of acting how to do a risk assessment, but more given in the risk assessment there sh should be addressed the hazardous situation, the hazardous uh, event, etc. And yeah. that is in chapter 7 of the EN 12100. So the points to address are mentioned and sometimes the inputs are addressed, but the process itself you can really boil it down to one-liners. And that is the simple thing, what if? So, for example, when we talk about the sawing as a cir circular saw, then you can say, okay, what if the saw starts to, to, to rotate? Yeah, and when my head is nearby. And then, yeah, exactly. You can do that for mechanical hazards, electrical hazards, uh, radiation hazards, ergonomic, ergonomical hazards, etc. Every hazard. But now you have uh, at least a very simplistic approach, what if? But that is also a nasty one, because if you, I do a what-if with some knowledge about safeties and risks, it's an otherwise than uh, someone who has not the knowledge about it in a what-if. So he is forgetting a lot of things. Yeah, but, but also when you as an external uh, expert conduct a risk analysis, you don't have all the design knowledge yet. So it's, it's always a combination of working together with the manufacturer, for example, isn't it? Yes, so, uh, that's, that's correct. Uh, but the designing knowledge of the product itself is at the manufacturer, I know. But the designing process, I studied it by the, by the way, so that, that is very familiar. But the what if, you have to do a what if on a structured way. And that can be process, it's called, for instance, FMEA, failure mode and effect analysis. You can have a fall tree analysis, you have tree analysis, and you have sev several ways of analyzing structural the system. And the what if is, of course, boiled down to a simple statement, but the what if needs to be in a structured way to be applied. Yeah, okay. Let's leave the risk analysis for what it is. We've been talking about the technical file, so the, the user instructions are part of the technical file, the risk assessment is part of the technical file, the, the testing report and everything else that you can find in Annex 7 of the Machinery Directive. So when you're building the technical file, what you basically do as a manufacturer, you're, you're completing your evidence, the evidence that your machinery meets the requirements from the Machinery Directive. And as soon as 
Genesis technical file is, is complete and you know for sure that your machinery meets all the requirements, you're uh, free to go to step six. Is that correct, Paul? Yeah, which is draw up a declaration of conformity, either a declaration of incorporation depending on partly completed machinery, etc. And, and a declaration of uh, performance for uh, construction products, but you need to do some declaration. And the declaration you sign has to comply to a certain rules and the rules are explained in the directive. Yeah, okay. And then I have drafted my, my, my declaration of conformity and then I can sign it and when signed I can sell my machinery within the European Union. Yep, you're all free to do. <laughs> Great. <laughs> all right, I, I think uh, we've, we've discussed a lot, uh, Paul, so I would like to close this session. I want to finish with one last question. I think you mentioned a bit earlier that the new there is a new product a general product safety directive that will come into force um, I'm, I'm quite interested what, what, what is this uh, GPSD about and what's the difference uh, with the current uh, general product safety directive well there are a little bit rewording in certain situations and uh, there is a uh, paper already available on the uh, internet I think that explaining more detail, but also uh, the product comes from Germany, Netherlands, etc. But what does it mean when it's come from? Is it built here 60%, 70%, 80, 10, uh, 01? So I can import it from China and put a label on it and then it's produced in Netherlands. But what it means produced? So this clarification uh, scheme is a little bit uh, more detailed. And also the liability issues are more detailed. You're saying liability, but for liability, there's another directive, right? It's, it's a liability for defective products regulation. Correct. But uh, the connection between it, uh, I mean, not liability, responsibility was the correct term. Okay, thanks. All right. And, and like the current general product safety directive is really general. Basically, it, it, it just says your product needs to be safe. When you sell a product, it needs to be safe. Yeah. The new one is more in, 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 in the detail, so it's more, it describes the definitions better. Uh, partly, but because it ha has to be scrutinized by Parliament, and then maybe uh, it needs some fixes. So it can circle around for several uh, months or years, I don't know. Yeah. But there is a, a text for ready for Parliament available. Uh, it's, uh, it's on the internet. So you can see what uh, small differences or big differences with this old one from 2005. I'll have a look and I'll include uh, the link in the, in the transcriptions. Actually, I was lying to you, Paul, because I, I have another question, uh, the, the last one. So we talked about the new machinery directive. What will be the major changes in this new machinery directive? What can we expect? Uh, of course, artificial intelligence and robotics. Uh, that are general issues. So think about a robot and the robot is um, putting some parts together. So the robot is at your table putting your coffee cup from left to right so you can program that. But now the robot can be reprogrammed and without knowing the robot can learn to itself not only to pick, pick the coffee for you to left to right but also your phone. Now you enter the room and you're thinking the robot is picking your coffee, so you're outside with your hands, 
but you will pick your phone and the robot says hey wait a minute I learned just phone and picks your hand so this is a kind of programming situation and how to uh, make this safe so a robot works within an envelope but is the envelope still the safeguarding, the hazard zone, what is it? So you have to make more clarification about robotics. You have to make more clarification about artificial intelligence, self-learning, and that could be hazardous in the future. Uh, security part, it's not directly defined, but if security in a control system means that your control system is broken or not, not ready. And the control system is taken over by foreigners, then you get hazards. Almost sounds like it's really hard to predict how technology is going to evolve and, and what to include in a new machinery directive. Is it based on like current experiences of, of the industry or does it also take, take predicted developments into account? We try to do predicted developments, but uh, it is hard to say. So you have to think in general terms and maybe 20 years later and we look back uh, then we can say what we have forgotten to define. Uh, the problem is we think about our future in a certain way but when you are there and looking back you're not in a similar way thinking. So it's, it's, it's hard to make predictive things within the machinery directive. So let's face the truth. When we are now here and looking back to the machinery directive at 1992, did we in the machinery directive thought about robotic systems? No, only pick and place systems were in, in, in the range. Artificial intelligence, nobody thought about it. Uh, even with building machines, uh, do we think that the machine is large as a chemical plant? No, that was already emphasized. Make small parts, make the machinery not as wide as the earth. Okay, discussion is again. Uh, is a laser. A laser is not a machine, but we have complete machines for laser beam generation. And when we think about nowadays systems, we can only make an extrapolation to a nearby future, but to make a prediction for 10 or more years. Well, I think it's quite challenging. And will it be in the directive? I don't think so. The directive is what we see in the nearby future. Artificial intelligence, robotics, and so on. Yeah, well, thank you, Paul. I, I think we've discussed so many things and I hope we, uh, we've provided a clear overview of the process of CE marking and what companies should do to make sure that their machinery complies. Thanks again, Paul. Thanks for being a, an awesome guest and hope to see you soon. Okay, see you. I would like to thank the thousands of listeners that follow my show. And I'd like you to listen to this show next week and all weeks that will follow as well. What have you got to lose? You are on your way to create happier and safer users. And I invite you to email me with your queries or just to say hi. Or maybe you want to be in the show. So continue listening or write that email right now or you won't be safe anymore. Only joking of course.